Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis with Drew Lerner. Today we're going to talk about everything that's gone on in sports media the past week or so. And we'll start with the biggest news, Charter and ESPN. Charter has reached an impasse with Disney, meaning that ESPN and the other Disney channels are not available to Charter's 15 million subscribers. And this is not a typical carriage dispute. Charter is taking issue with really the foundations of the cable industry as it stands right now. Uh, This is not, hey, we don't want to pay this amount of money. This is, if you're going to be going direct to subscriber, then what is the purpose of us paying top dollar for your linear channels? We want those direct to subscriber platforms included for free. I don't see Disney being willing to do that. So this could go on for a long time. And the longer it goes on, it could be for keeps because the way that Charter is talking, they're not looking to uh, stay in the video business for much longer, really, period. Even if a deal were to be reached, I would expect the way that Charter has talked that something would you know, come to a head at some point. So more than anything, this is kind of an inevitability, but at the same time, a a a paradigm shift in the industry. We've known something like this was probably going to happen for a while, and now it's happening. And for the immediate future, we're talking about Disney being in fewer homes than it was already in. We're talking about a lot of charter subscribers moving on to streaming. Uh, But for the long term, we're talking about really the future of the industry. We're talking about whether or not the new model will ever be as lucrative as the old one. And if not, what the impact will be for all of the leagues and all of the conferences. So it's a pretty significant story. And Drew, I'll bring you in. Yeah, certainly. I think since, you know, we started recording this podcast, you know, in February of this year, this is probably the biggest story that we've covered here. I mean, the way I see it, I don't think Disney really has an option other than to kind of compromise and strike a deal here. They'd just be leaving so much on the table not having that type of revenue stream even if it's only for another few years um you know they're leaving ballpark you know between 150 million and 200 million dollars a month in subscriber fees just from charter subscribers right so i think we all understand that you know the model itself is broken right this this is you know a, a structural issue uh, in the industry, but in the immediate term, I actually I don't see this actually taking much longer. I do think Disney will reach a deal because their other option is, you know, I've seen many people refer to as going nuclear, and I just don't think that is, you know, in the best interest of Disney as a company at this time. Something that I found interesting when reading all of the reporting on this story uh, this past weekend is if there is an eventual deal, you know, say 
Disney and Charter negotiate terms, agree to a to a carriage fee for for their channels, um, agree to some sort of package of Disney's digital properties uh, for Charter subscribers. There are clauses in the other cable provider contracts called Most Favorite Nations, which I believe John Orrand reported in Sports Business Journal. That would essentially mean that should Charter get better better terms for Disney's linear channels, Comcast, for instance, or Verizon would actually automatically take Charter's terms in a new agreement, right? So if Disney agrees to a deal with Charter, they're losing subscriber fees across the board with all of their major cable providers. Yeah, and that's why I, I'm not sure how quick this will be because Disney's choice is either to completely, you know, undercut its direct-to-subscriber strategy. Because now that's 15 million people who don't have to pay for ESPN Plus to get ESPN Plus. That's a disaster for ESPN, in my view. Or you're paying or you're getting less money for your linear channels across the board, which is a bigger disaster. So I mean I don't know. I, it's it's a, it's a disaster either way, John. I mean, wouldn't you rather have 15 million people at least for the next few years getting ESPN Plus for free, kind of onboarding them, even you know they get used to the product, and then when Charter kind of leaves the you know the video industry, that then those 15 million people might become ESPN Plus subscribers in the future. Yeah, I mean that is. Certainly a fair point. Now, would the most favored nation status include something like, well, Charter gets those direct-to-subscriber platforms, so Comcast should? I, I think that's unclear. Um, I, from my understanding, it probably directly applies to the carriage fees for each linear channel. So say you know, National Geographic channel is being given to Charter for $0.10 cents less per subscriber than Verizon. Verizon can then go back and say, all right, well, we're going to pay 10 cents less for National Geographic Channel. Um, well, of course, you know, even if it's not contractual, there's no way the next Comcast deal won't be, hey, you gave Charter this, we expect the same. So at a certain point, eventually the whole logic of ESPN Plus dies because if you can just get it through cable, you'll get it through cable. Now, I mean, granted, you'll still have people who've cut the cord being able to get it, but I mean, it's just, uh, it seems like that's a lot of money you're going to miss out on. Because, I mean, it's not like it's just people who would never have gotten ESPN+. Plus. There'll be people mm -hmm. who are paying for both. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, D Disney's backed in the corner here. Th this is why it's so existential for the industry, right? Disney really doesn't have any good options. I do wonder in all of this, you know, kind of if they reach an agreement or not, does this speed up Disney's timeline for bringing ESPN over the top, uh, the mothership? Well, I mean, maybe. Because, you know, if, if this is what's going to happen with every single cable provider down the line, right, where they're, they're just not going to get their, you know, expected uh, subscriber fees from all these providers, why not just rip the Band-Aid off? This is probably what they're weighing, right? We can rip the Band-Aid off now, expedite ESPN, direct-to-consumer, the mothership, or we can kind of milk the last few years of these 
from these cable providers at probably a substantially reduced rate that, than what we were expecting. That's the calculus, I think, for Disney right now. Yeah. I don't know how easy it's going to be to just accelerate two years worth of planning mm. to, to make that happen. And then the other side of it is, you know, if Charter is able to just include Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, uh, and uh, Hulu, which I guess the Disney bundle is only, what, $13? It's not that bad. And so it's 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 not that much when you're comparing it to an entire cable bill but it does make charter a bit of a better deal because you get all the channels and espn plus and hulu and you know charter's intentions are to do this across the board right so if if you come back one day and charter includes espn plus and peacock and all of these things then that immediately makes it a better deal than a lot of these other things one of the things I wonder is, will, if ESPN, or excuse me, if Disney does this with Charter, will we see YouTube TV uh, have this same aspect? Because cable's going to have a leg up for the first time in a while if a cable subscription gets you all of those directed subscriber platforms, which is what Charter is looking for, and probably the only way to make this worth Charter's time. Yeah, and like this kind of gets to another existential point is you know who's you know there's all this talk about the rebundling of you know content right and espn i think had visions that they would be the central platform for this bundle or disney i should say not espn if they were to give into charters demands here and provide some of their digital services to a cable provider that kind of puts the ball in the court of the cable providers that they will be the ones in charge of this rebundling, kind of losing Disney a lot of leverage there. So there's a lot going on here that Disney has to consider for their long-term future as well. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, ultimately, to allow cable to, you know, there's a reason why people wanted to get rid of cable. And part of it is that everything became more expensive. And that's on the networks. That's on Disney and ESPN. But a part of it too is that cable is really inconvenient and you have contracts, you have the enormous, you know, uh, contraptions you have to put into your house. You have the, the there's an entire movie called The Cable Guy. <laughs> I mean, all of this stuff sounds like The Milkman, you know, or something, but there you had to deal with The Cable Guy. Uh, and it's really inconvenient, really clunky, and not nearly as good as just streaming, assuming you have a good internet connection. Uh, so to just let cable wriggle its way out of its crisis and then be in charge of the rebundling, I, I don't know. I mean, we've had, what, Charter, Comcast, every, and, oh, the other aspect, there's no choice. You just have one or two cable companies in your in your area. You know, I, like I never chose Comcast when I was signing up for it. You know, I've never had charter. I've never lived in a charter area. So all of those things that made cable unattractive, you know, it'd be interesting if they ended up in charge of the new era too. Well, the reason that they have any leverage at all is because they control the broadband, right? They control, they, they're the same companies that are providing people internet, right? So, and that is 
clearly the more lucrative revenue stream for them right now. It's the whole reason that they're trying to get out of the video business because the margins are just so thin. Ben Thompson, who, who's an analyst, tech analyst, media analyst, uh, wrote a piece today called The Rise and Fall of ESPN's Leverage, which I would recommend everyone go read. It really, it, it does a great job of laying out just how the leverage between these cable providers and ESPN has gone from the beginning, right, from ESPN's inception. And a lot of it really comes back to just the transmission of data, right, how data is being transmitted. Um, for the average consumer. Uh, and now that, you know, internet providers are, you know, honestly so good at providing internet, most of us who are living in the United States here uh, have pretty easy access to high-speed internet. That's what ultimately has made streaming and, you know, these virtual multi, multi-channel multi video providers kind of viable in the first place, right? So because if Charter has a consumer that, cuts cable but you know wants to switch to a streamer like like fubo you know they still need internet for that right so they're still going to be a charter customer for for their internet so there's really not this threat that they will go find uh internet elsewhere because they they are a like you said sometimes the only game in town sometimes you only have one internet provider to choose from anyway but b you know, because cable is not a high margin business, they're really not losing out on much. Yeah. We talked about the advantages of streaming versus cable, but there's still a lot of people out there who don't have a good enough internet connection to stream the kind of live sports they want to watch, like the Super Bowl, for example. I mean, linear cable for all of the collapse that it's experienced is still ahead of streaming. Uh, and your Comcasts, your, your charters, they are still the primary way that people are consuming sports on cable. You, you made a good point. It's it's important to it's important to put in perspective that you know kind of the, the plurality of video content that is consumed on you know on a month to month basis is still via cable, right? Cable is still a big business. It's how most people consume live sports, of course, but also uh, a plenty of other content. So. It's not as if a transition to streaming would be, uh, you know, a breeze, right? It, it's not. This is still how most people watch television. So certainly a lot to digest, and uh, it'll be fascinating if there is a deal that comes of this, how that deal looks, and, um, you know, the kind of the terms of that agreement. Well, it says a lot, too, about the great, kind of scam that everyone in this business has been running for all these years that up to now having people's grandparents who don't watch ESPN pay for ESPN every month is still a better business model than people who actually choose to purchase ESPN specifically. I think we should quickly touch on kind of the downstream impact of this uh, in kind of the medium to long term. When the cable model does, you know, finally collapse, if we can even say that word. I mean, it might be a slow burn, might be a more of a sudden collapse, who knows. But um, at the end of the day, this model is dying, and that is going to have downstream impacts on the leagues and the teams and the players um, because it doesn't seem like these media rights are going to be uh, increasing at the rate that they they were uh, the past couple of decades uh, with the uh, the cable model. 
Well, nobody's got to worry about that until the next decade. Not even the NBA, really, because those talks are so far along. That's happening too quickly for the for anyone to really adjust their strategy on. I mean, I guess that kind of makes it borderline moot. And you have enough time between now and when this set of rights expires for that directed subscriber model to get off the ground as a real alternative, though I don't think it'll ever match up to to cable. That's a great point that um, in the interim here, because so many long-term deals have already been signed, that the leagues might not feel the pain as much as they could have because that transition from cable to direct to subscriber will be a bit more widely adapted. Okay, John, uh, let's move on to our next topic here, which is uh, opening weekend of college football. Um, Because of the holiday, we don't have a lot of numbers right now um, in terms of viewership, but we certainly have some storylines, I think, headlined by Colorado and Deion Sanders and their introduction to a national audience on Fox's Big Noon on Saturday. Uh, Why don't we start there? Uh, I don't think we have numbers for this game yet, but maybe you have a prediction and um, what can we expect kind of going forward from that type of storyline? Will that be a needle mover for viewership? Well, no numbers yet for that game. We do have numbers for a couple of other games that we'll talk about. But uh, my prediction on the site before the game was, I think, 3.6 million. My thought was, okay, we know Dion has a lot of hype behind him, but people aren't going to watch a full college football game just for the coach. Uh, So obviously the game is high quality, uh, very high scoring, which is always good. And Colorado looked really good. And uh, I, I think my prediction will end up being uh, under, I could see that game getting to maybe 5 million viewers, 5.2, maybe even higher. Um, you know, So I think uh, it'll, it'll end up having done really well. And then next week for an old school matchup against Nebraska, home opener, I could see that with the hype from this past week. I can see that doing really well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, Fox's gamble on two straight Colorado games in their marquee windows kind of paying off for them. Right. Um, I, I'm actually curious to see what this does for big noon. Um, just kind of a sidebar or sorry, big noon kickoff, I should say, because um, I'm referring to the studio show, the, the game day competitor. I was actually down in North Carolina last week, which, um, and happened to be in a, in a charter market. So I was kind of forced into watching Big Noon kickoff rather than College Game Day because we weren't getting the ESPN channels. Um, so, so I got to get two hours of Urban Meyer and and uh, Mark Ingram, uh, and you know they they put on a bit of a spectacle, but it is clear that they were all in on Deion Sanders. And I think if Colorado continues to be as exciting as they were on Saturday this could have staying power for Fox and I guess whatever whatever other rights holders have Colorado's games this year. Well, that would be ESPN, right? Pac-12 still exists and Colorado is still part of it. Uh, I'm honestly a bit surprised that, uh, I guess the first game was a Big 12 game for TCU. Second game is a Pac-12 game, but I'm a bit surprised Fox got first pick for both of them. Uh, so uh, that's interesting. But yeah, I think, I don't know how much it'll help Big Noon, 
because I mean, that's asking Dion's coattails to go a little far. Um, I can tell you that if we're going to talk about big noon versus college game day, the charter situation will help big noon, but, uh, you know, both of these shows are, you know, this format is, is getting a little stale. I, I thought game day got a real shot in the arm last year from Pat McAfee. That was really important, but now it's year two. And so, you know, you just kind of have him there and Pat McAfee is starting to kind of run a little stale himself. The situation with Corso is, you know, I like that Lee's there. I want him to be there. He needs the show even more than they need him. People on social media, they say, oh, this is elder abuse. It's the opposite. Um, you know, this is something that Lee needs to do. And uh, I think that seems to be obvious to me. So I, I applaud them for letting him continue to do the show. Um, obviously, it's it's different with Lee, right, uh, at this stage. Um, losing David Pollock was not a meaningless loss. That was not a meaningless decision. He was good on that show. Uh, Herb Street's obviously great, and Reese Davis is great. And, you know, I mean... Uh, but losing Gene Wojciechowski, hopefully I'm pronouncing that remotely well, uh, was also a loss, right? Uh, they, you know, I know they have Jen Latta, so they have two people doing the sad story beat each week. But, you know, he was he was also someone who was good on that show. They've lost a lot of talent. They were in Charlotte, North Carolina, a big city. You, you When you see a big shot of game day and it's in a big city with skyscrapers, that's the opposite of what game day is about. So Big Noon came closer because it was on a campus, but Big Noon is derivative. The first thing I noticed with Big Noon was the Wendy's sign, something about a Baconator. And I'm like, that's shameless. I mean, game day, you know, that, that, I mean, just having a sign that's constantly there advertising Wendy's. Um, Rob Stone is great. Uh, I think Reese Davis is, is, is better, but I don't think the advantage is that significant, although I do think Reese is excellent. Uh, it, the fact that it's not a blowout is a testament to Rob Stone. Um, I, I saw them bring in Mark Ingram on the horse, and I kept thinking to myself, I didn't realize that Mark Ingram had had a personality because I, I, I think I skipped his whole NFL career somehow. I was trying to think, wait, Mark Ingram from Alabama. You mean to tell me he had all these colorful moments in the NFL? don't remember any of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, hey, he was fine, but I, I didn't realize he was like a personable guy like that. Uh, urban is urban. And uh, the other two guys, I don't, I think one is Brady Quinn, right? And Matt yeah, Leinart, am yeah, I right? Brady Quinn and Matt Leinart, exactly. Hey, they're, they're, they're more than fine. They're good, but they're also very nondescript. Yeah. Uh, but the biggest problem is it's derivative. And it's derivative of a show that is not what it used to be. Everybody's good. The format's the problem. It's, it's not, well, I shouldn't say the format is the problem. Because the format is great. College kids yelling and screaming. We'll never get old, right? But we've seen it all a million times. And I'll tell you the honest truth. Every Saturday morning, PCM runs movies from the Bowery Boys. You ever heard of the Bowery Boys? The Bowery no. Boys before? <laughs> they no. run uh, the Bowery Boys. They're like maybe 40s era Three Stooges. And I did switch to the Bowery Boys uh, <laughs> during game day and big noon. And uh, it, I didn't regret it. It was, you know... It, it, it was an improvement. Well, you miss Michael Irvin's return to a pregame show. Oh, was he on? You, he game? was on Big Noon. You missed Tom Brady's debut as a Fox 
uh, analyst, I guess, technically. He had about a one-minute pre-recorded clip. Um, let's see. You missed the bear. The bear's fox. No, I, saw him. I think I saw him. I don't know. Oh, okay, you know yeah. what? I, I saw Stanford World Steve. Cup. Stanford Steve is very talented. Everyone likes Stanford Steve. He was shaky. He wasn't the comfortability of the bear, right? Who was just there, and they all knew him and had to get the great chemistry. It'll take a while to rebuild that. Let's hit some of the other headlines here in college football. Why don't we go over some of the numbers that uh, we do have uh, as of recording Tuesday evening? Well, it's not many, but the FSU-LSU viewership is out. That was 9.1 million. That's a nice, strong number. A few years ago, a matchup like that, and that window would have done over 10 million. But given the situation with Charter, given the fact that it was a blowout, even an entertaining blowout, I mean, I'll say that was a nice, solid number. Uh, it's not earth-shattering. Yeah, it's okay. The most watched Sunday of Labor Day weekend game. Well, they've restarted that only since 2016. It's not that many. And of course, the, the most watched since the first one, Notre Dame-Texas in 2016. Um, you know, there have been better audiences on the Saturday of Labor Day weekend. There have been better audiences on Labor Day itself. So I, I don't want to overstate the the... I don't want to overstate the superlative there, uh, but it's a good number. And if Florida State is good, that's good for everybody. Uh, people uh, re people respond to, the, to, to Florida State. Uh, so we do have that number. We also have numbers for Virginia, Penn State on NBC, their first Saturday night window, 3.7 million. Not earth shattering, not overwhelmingly great, but probably better than North Carolina, South Carolina. A really weird game to put in that window. You know, ABC for so many years, that first Saturday night football game was a big game. This one was so small, they didn't even put Fowler and Herb Street on it, which uh, has got to be a first. They did, the obviously, the FSU-LSU game. So I imagine that NBC won that head-to-head. -head. Uh, you know, 3.7 million, is a, it's okay. NBC said that it was the second most watched Labor Day weekend game on its network since 2015. Now, this is where I and Sports Media Watch are different than the other sites. Because the other sites looked at that in the NBC press release and said, okay, sure. And I looked at it and I said, well, how many games have you aired on Labor Day weekend over that span, right? So I looked it up, and uh, that was the third game over that span, right? So it trailed Notre Dame, Michigan in 2018. And I think it was Notre Dame Ball State on like an afternoon in 2017. And those were it as far as that eight-year period. So that is absolutely not an impressive superlative at all. Uh, but These, uh, these PR people are shameless, man. <laughs> they, they will say anything. They're not shameless. They they're do, look, I don't blame a PR person for somebody taking something from a press release and just re, re, uh, restating it. I don't blame a PR person for that. One thing I will say about SMW uh, and well, obviously about my work is that I've never just sat back and said, well, the press release said this, so I'm just going to put this in there. It, you know, sometimes I'll dig into archive.org. I would dig into archive.org and try to dig up the, 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 the remains of media life magazine and go through their archives. And I'm, I'm in the archive.org version of media life magazines, 2006 archives to look up a number, you know, I mean, that's a lot less fun than just
putting in the, the you know the copy and paste from the press release but you know in, in this particular situation i think it was worth it uh and um also nbc said that the ecu michigan game was its most streamed college football game ever but of course did not disclose a number you know that's another one of those superlatives that i don't particularly find all that impressive if you want to impress me show me a number if you're not going to show me a number i don't know why i would take that overwhelmingly seriously I, I can assure you that maryland charlotte next week will not uh match that that number I wonder, is nbc going to actually send people they can't just do that off a monitor like fox does with fs1 baseball I don't, it's their, sec their second game they can't they can't they can't phone it in for their second game right Sure, they can. I, I'll be, I'll be watching. I mean, that, I, that's exactly. because I'm a Maryland grad. But I, you know, all the ads. We'll have three people here in my apartment watching. All the ads for that game should focus specifically on Scott Van Pelt and <laughs> things that that he's interested in. That that'll be a good a good use of money. All right, John. Final topic of the night here. Um, let's preview the National Football League. Um, we have our first game here Thursday night Lions Chiefs that will be on NBC their debut Sunday night football game on Thursday as always why don't we start out with kind of top line thoughts for the NFL season um you know this is kind of the first year of the new media rights deals we might see some changes here on the viewers end uh, why don't you walk us through some of those and and then give us um, like I said, your top line thoughts for the season. Yeah, another NFL season. The years start coming and they don't stop coming, huh? And this is going to be a big one because, of course, it's the Detroit Lions, America's team. Uh, people have gotten really high on the Lions because they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they weren't horrible. And they beat the Packers in that final Sunday night football game, and people are very high on them. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I don't know enough about on-field NFL to, to prognosticate. Uh, I, I think, hey, if you're telling me the Lions are going to be really good, maybe you're right. Uh, and uh, they open up against the Chiefs. Opening night is not really that important of a night for the NFL from a ratings perspective. They have, on so many occasions, scheduled kind of a game that didn't make a lot of rating sense, like Chiefs-Texans in the COVID year. That was the last time the Chiefs hosted. You know, I mean, that was their playoff rematch, but the Texans are never going to be a team people really want to watch. And the Lions, you know, if you can get the Lions to be good, great. Uh, as it is, worst comes to worst, it's a blowout. You end up with a single-digit rating in the high nines, 17, 18 million viewers. No one's, it's not a big deal. The bigger game is Cowboys-Giants for NBC. You know, the, the Sunday night uh, package, the Monday night, the Monday night package, those are the things that really matter for those networks. And I think you'll see a very strong opening week because you do have the Cowboys and Giants. You do have the Bills and Jets. Uh, those are really, really strong games to open up. Uh, you know, CBS and Fox will be going up against each other again with competing doubleheaders. Not ideal for either of them. I don't think either of them want that, but it is what it is, what the NFL wants. So Fox has Packers Bears, CBS has Eagles Patriots. Those are two pretty good matchups. Normal, you know, attractive teams that people like to watch. Uh, and uh, I think it'll be a solid week one. You know, the NFL, uh, we've allowed people to memory hole that the NFL was being discussed as a dying culture war victim, that no one was ever going to watch the NFL again, 
And of course, that was all nonsense. It always is. Uh, the NFL is doing great. Do I think it'll do great forever? No, I think you'll have another down year at some point. But um, I don't necessarily see any reason to expect this year to be a down year. I think the, the league's got a pretty good thing going momentum-wise. The NFL has a lot of good things going, as you said. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that are in good situations this year, um, particularly in the uh, in the AFC. Um that should provide some compelling storylines throughout the year. I think if you look at the big market teams in New York, they both probably have more optimism going than than any recent year prior to uh to this. Dallas is of course solid and that'll always be a ratings draw even if they're solid or not. The the big market teams certainly are um very marketable this year more so than normal. Yeah. And that's uh, that's so key to everything. So for the NFL, I think this will be a good year. The league's got a good thing going. Everybody made it out to be politics when the ratings went down. That probably played somewhat of a role, but it was also just a really boring time. I mean, Mahomes wasn't even really there. Uh, you look back, that was the year that three of the final four quarterbacks, when you got to the, the playoffs, were Bortles, Nick Foles, um, and uh, who else? Uh, who was the quarterback of the Vikings at that time? It wasn't Cousins, was it? It was Case Keenum. Case Keenum. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that tells you a lot about where the NFL was. It was a bad year. And it was, oh, it's politics, it's politics. No, it's the, these are the best teams remaining. And the Packers and Cowboys both missed playoffs and weren't very good. The league's doing great now. And we want to know why. It's because the, the, they've got a lot of star quarterbacks in a lot of places. They've had an incredible run of drafts. They've got a ton of teams with exciting players. And there's really not a lot of teams that you can put on national TV where it would be a bad thing. I mean, you know, the Broncos. But maybe they'll be good this year. Yeah, there's even hype surrounding them with Sean Payton. Um, I will say I I don't think this will be a year of ratings decline for the NFL. Even, you know, without all the factors of, you know, quarterbacks being good situations, you know, the big market teams generally being pretty good or optimistic at least prior to the season um what what we are getting is the start of the new deals and you know that means more flex scheduling that means uh more flexible scheduling between cbs and fox to get kind of more high profile games on on those networks uh kind of lessening some of the restrictions of the old deals um and we're we're getting more single game windows, right? We have the Black Friday game. Um, uh, we have the Christmas Day games, of course, um, which is not new, but um, still. Uh, let me tell you something. You're going to see the least watched NFL playoff game in many years, that game on Peacock. When I saw that they were going to put an NFL game on Peacock in the playoffs, if I'm the other networks, I'm programming strong that Saturday night. That's an extra Saturday night that you wouldn't normally have because you're not going to have the normal viewership for that game. I wanted ABC to put an NBA game on that night because, I mean, there will be millions of viewers who can't watch a sporting event. They, they, you know, they, they tune in looking around for the NFL. They can't find it, but they wanted to watch some sports. So put on college basketball, the NBA, whatever else is going on in January, the NHL, why not? Uh, because that, that, that will not do well. I mean, by playoff standards, it'll do great for Peacock. It'll be a milestone. But the other thing, too, will we even have a Nielsen rating for it? Peacock doesn't have the arrangement that Amazon does for the NFL. So 
John, a good podcast today. Excited for the NFL season. What what a breath of fresh air to have football back. Um, just a way more exciting topic than some of the other things that we've covered over the summer. But um, I, I have I have to get this off my chest, and every year it bothers me. But the most egregious sports scheduling error on the calendar happens this Sunday, where the U.S. Open men's finals conflicts with week one of the NFL season. Can we not figure out a, a place to put the men's final of the U.S. Open that is not on the first day of the NFL season? It's crazy. Put it on the Saturday immediately after the women's final. It'd be great television. You could get between six and eight hours of programming out of it, make a whole spectacle of it. But please, like, make this craziness stop. I don't think it was so bad when CBS had the rights because you had a direct lead in from the NFL. And so that Sunday final usually did pretty darn well every year. Toward the end, it was always the women's final because they had so many years where rain pushed the men's final to a Monday and the women's final to a Sunday. They just built it into the schedule eventually and and had the men's final on, on that Monday. But uh, when CBS had the rights, it wasn't a bad thing because you had the ability to at the very least, draft off of that NFL lead-in and get really big numbers. With ESPN having the rights, obviously, it's not great. Um, I think the Saturday idea, and I read somebody else had said had suggested this in the New York Post. Uh, I think it's a good idea, the Super Saturday. They used to love the men's semis in the afternoon, women's final at night. Um, I do think that if you're going to put it all on a Saturday, you got to keep in mind that the Sunday works better for ESPN. So Chris Fowler's not even doing the women's final because of college football. I think maybe, how about Freaky Friday? You put the men's final and the women's final on the Friday. That's a bit extreme. It's not typical with tennis. But when you get to football season, you got to get creative. And so the men and women's finals on that Friday, unopposed by anything. Uh, you know, And the reward for that is you start the tournament, you finish the tournament two days later, you start it two days earlier. So you start it on the Saturday in late August when nothing is going on. So you get an extra weekend completely unopposed by anything. All right. With that, John, why don't you close out the podcast? All right. And one more thing to add on to that. If it's Friday, then you can avoid the Thursday semifinal in the women's side opposite the NFL, which would also be good. But we've talked enough today. We'll see you back here next week. We'll talk week one of the NFL season and more. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.